Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What do I do? Give another round of applause for our graduates. Thank you, guys. Well, thank you, Pastor Kevin. And I want to give a special thanks to Pastor Kevin and Christina Wenschel and the auction team. On Friday, uh, last Friday, uh, they did an outstanding job. If you were not here, it was a wonderful youth auction And uh, the totals that they raised are found in your bulletins this morning. But we are just thankful to the Lord. Those funds will help send our youth on mission. And so we're excited to see that there are a number of youth that are going to Boston this year. And we're excited to see that we as a church have surrounded them to support them and encourage them. So thank you very much. I want to encourage you also to open up to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be reading together verses 4 through 8. Acts chapter 1, if you have your devices, you can turn them on or open up your Bibles or the words will be on the screen for you. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. It says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John the baptized... For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Praise be the reading of God's word. Over the last five weeks, we have tried to answer one question. The question has been this, what happens after I die? We've been in this series on eternity, and today we actually conclude the series on eternity, and we've been looking at what the scriptures teach about eternity. We've tried to avoid some of the pitfalls that our society and our culture tend to fall into when it comes to talking about heaven. Why? Because many of their their claims or the things that they talk about when it comes to heaven aren't rooted in scripture. And so for the last five weeks, we decided as a church, let's dive into scripture and see what scripture actually teaches about eternity. And so I kind of want to recap some of the things that we've learned or we've discussed or talked about. First, the scriptures teach us after death, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ will be with the Lord forever. The scriptures teach us when we are with Jesus, grief and pain will vanish forever. The scriptures have taught us that our spirit will finally be united when we die with an incorruptible body. The scriptures teach us that sin will touch and tempt us no more and that evil will be punished and righteousness will be vindicated. The scriptures teach us that Christ's righteousness will be ours. And we have heard from the word of God that joy will also be ours. 
the scriptures teach us that our world will ultimately be made new and better when Christ comes again. And the scriptures teach us that afflictions we face now will fade in comparison to the glory that will be revealed in Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Amen. That's what the word of God teaches us about eternity. And so this is the thing that we're going to talk about this morning. The last five weeks we've been asking this question, what happens after I die? I pray that today we stop asking that question. Because if you don't know what happens after you die, then go back and listen to the last five weeks. Because today we need to start asking a different question. What happens after they die? What happens after my parents die? What happens after my friends die? What happens after the prodigal dies? What after my boyfriend or my girlfriend or the man down the street who barely comes out of his house or the homeless woman that you watch pushing her cart as you drive past in your car? What happens after she dies or the confused or the politician who stands up and proclaims political ideologies? What happens after they die? What happens after the police officer dies or the banker? What happens after your neighbor dies? What happens after a child in a village or a refugee running from war? What happens after they die? That's the question. It's no longer what happens after I die. Why? Because heaven isn't just for you. Heaven isn't just for me. It's not just for us. It's not just for those who are sitting here right now or listening online who have confessed faith in Jesus Christ. No, there is a world out there who has not yet heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Heaven is also for them because in heaven, that's where Jesus is. And we want people to know and to follow Jesus Christ. Amen? In Acts chapter 1, interestingly enough, Jesus has been with his disciples for 40 days. We didn't read all of Acts chapter 1, but he's been with them for 40 days. He's been teaching them under the influence, it says in verse 3, of the Holy Spirit. And it's time for Jesus to depart, go to heaven, and then he tells his disciples, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And then he tells them, there's one thing I want you to do. I want you to be a witness. Say that with me this morning. Be a witness. Say it one more time. That's what Jesus tells his church to do. That's what he tells his disciples to do in Acts chapter 1. Yet in Acts 1, the departure of Jesus disturbs the disciples. They're kind of frazzled about it. And it's not because Jesus is leaving. You know, I want you to look at verses 4 through 6. Look what upsets them a little bit. Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. I've already told you guys I'm going to do this. The Holy Spirit's going to come. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they, that's the disciples, gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are now listen to this, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's what they ask. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus is offering them a gift, the Holy Spirit, and these guys gather around Jesus, and what do they say? Listen, thanks for the gift, but we need a guarantee. Are you going to take care of Israel? 
You see, Jesus is, is offering them the what. This is your purpose. This is your calling. This is your mission. Go and be a witness. And they want to know the when. Well, when's the kingdom of Israel going to be restored? You see, two different concerns. It's like as a parent, you tell your kids to do one thing or you promise them one thing, and what do they do? They want the complete opposite. Your kids ever do that? No, your kids are angels. And they float on clouds. And everyone loves them. Now, Jesus is standing here before these men, and he's saying to them, listen, I, I, I want you to be a witness. Now, I want to be careful here. What the disciples are asking is not wrong. It's just the wrong time. They're a couple thousand years ahead of God. Because what they're asking for, the kingdom to be restored, what they're asking for is what we call the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see, the first coming of Jesus Christ was when he was born and he lived and he ministered and he healed and he preached that the kingdom of God is near, repent, be baptized, right? That's the first kingdom. And then what happens? He dies and he resurrects from the dead. That's his first coming. And he ascends into the heavens. There is a time when Christ will come again, and we looked at this the past few weeks, that literally God is going to restore all the things that have been wrong. And his kingdom will be here on this earth. See, there are a couple thousand years ahead of what God is doing. They're not wrong. It's just the wrong time. And so Jesus responds to their question in verses 7 through 8. Look what Jesus says. It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Now look, I'm old enough, and I, some of you are questioning how old I am based on how I act, but I'm old enough and I've read enough history to know that whenever governments get unsettled, there's wars happening around the world, and there's political tension, there's always a group of people that are going to start writing books and proclaiming that these are the end times. And they're going to make money, and some of you are going to buy their books and give your money away. It's fine. You can read the Bible, but you can buy their books if you want. Look, the point I'm trying to make is, at any given time throughout human history, we can always point and say, well, this person's going to be the Antichrist, and that government's going to do this, and this is what's going to happen, and we can speculate all these kinds of things. And Jesus is looking at them and says, listen, it's not for you to know. I love how one scholar says it. He goes, this is Jesus telling them, it's none of your business. It's none of your business. Your business is to be a witness. That's your business. Why? Because I can come back at any time. They're, they're the imminent return of Jesus Christ could happen at any moment, any time. So listen, don't worry about when that's going to happen. That's a guarantee. What you need to worry about is being a witness for me on this earth. And so Jesus says, your business is to be a witness. It's interesting. I appreciate the words that Oswald Smith says when he writes this. We talk of the second coming while half the world has never heard of the first. Ever thought about that? So many of us, we get caught up in the second coming of Jesus Christ while literally half the world has never heard of the first coming. And so listen, Jesus is calling us to witness of his first coming, that heaven is not just for us, 
that people need to come to know and to follow Jesus Christ. And it is our commission to be a witness for Jesus on this earth. So I wanna, I wanna kind of dive into this phrase, be a witness. What does that actually mean? Let's get really simple. Like, let's actually study this. So number one, if you're taking notes this morning, there's two things that I think Jesus implies here. Number one, a witness testifies to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what a witness is. A witness testifies to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I didn't read this this morning, but look at verses one through three of Acts chapter one. You don't even have to turn a page in your Bible. It's right there. Look at the first three verses. This is what Luke writes to a man named Theophilus, and this is what Luke describes. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, focus in here on verse three. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave them many convincing proofs that he was what? That he was alive. You see, a witness testifies to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is alive, that he is not dead, that he's not in some tomb buried underneath the earth. No, he is raised from the dead. That's what a witness does. You see, the disciples are not to witness about a large church or a nice building. Matter of fact, first century, they didn't have those things. Jesus isn't asking them to witness about doctrine. Although in years to come, they will teach the commands of Jesus because that's part of the Great Commission. But he's not asking them to do that. He's not asking them to start a program. He's not asking them to explain the Old Testament. Matter of fact, friends, he's not asking them to pick up social issues or political issues. You know what Jesus is asking them to do? Tell people I'm alive. That's what he's asking them to do. Tell people I'm raised from the dead. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the basis of Christianity. If Jesus Christ has not raised from the dead, then what we're doing right now is in vain. And we should be pitied amongst all people of the earth. But he did raise from the dead. He is alive. And the church lives and functions based on one truth. Jesus Christ is alive. You see, a witness, thank you. There's some Baptists among us. Praise God. <laughs> feel free to shout out and say amen or hallelujah, however you may feel. A witness testifies to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He gave many convincing proofs, Luke writes, that he is alive. He is alive. You see, when you and I witness about Jesus Christ, it's not about us. I want that to sink in. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. It's not about your ability to read or write or to speak well. It's not about your gender, whether you're a male or a female. It's not about your job, whether you work in a factory or an office, whether it's blue collar or white collar. It's not about how much money you make, whether you make a little bit of money or a lot of money. It has nothing to do about any of those things. Being a witness of Jesus is testifying that he is alive. It's not trying to explain the Bible to people or explain the Trinity to people. It's not trying to answer every why or what or how that every person may ask you along the way. Listen, there's lots of questions. Many of them I can't even answer. But the one thing I can tell people is that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and it's changed my life. That's what we testify about, that Christ is alive. 
And so secondly, I think in this passage, a witness testifies to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but secondly, I think Luke makes it really clear that a witness, hear this, testifies by the power of the Holy Spirit. You testify by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you are not alone in your testimony about Jesus Christ. Jesus has given you the Holy Spirit. And so you and I testify by his power. Jesus taught by the influence of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter one, verse three. You and I proclaim that Jesus is alive by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse eight. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The disciples' calling and concern and mission are not the focus on the timing of the end, the second coming, rather they are to receive the power or the enablement that God will give them through the Holy Spirit. They will be Jesus' witnesses from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Now in Acts chapter one, it's interesting that Luke here combines the coming of the Holy Spirit upon people and power. Now I'm gonna nerd out a little bit and I don't mean to offend anybody, but this word power in Greek is really cool. It's dynamin, which almost sounds like Luke is saying, it's dynamite, you know, you remember that guy? Like he's saying, listen, it is gonna be awesome when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's gonna be so awesome. It's gonna be dynamite, you know? And so you get this idea that the disciples literally are functioning by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something, it's, it's not about them. It's not something they do within themselves. It is literally God enabling them to fulfill what God wants to be done and proclaimed on this earth. And what's interesting about this phrase, be a witness, is that this phrase witness, if you actually research it through the Bible, is actually a legal term. A witness is a legal term. So Luke uses it in Acts and Luke legally, and actually Jesus uses it in Matthew chapter 18 as a legal term, and Paul uses it again in 2 Corinthians 13 and 1 Timothy 5, told you I'm a nerd out a little bit, as a legal term. And so what is he saying when he uses this phrase, be a witness by the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, let me explain this to you. A witness does not stand up and proclaim to people how they feel. It's not about what you feel. Because at any given day, I could feel completely different than how you feel. I could be having a bad day or a good day. I could be overly excited to tell people about Jesus, or I could be like, man, today was rotten, I got stoned, I got beaten, I got spit on, somebody gave me the finger while I was driving down the road. I don't think I wanna tell people about Jesus. When, G when Luke says this is a legal term to be a witness, what he's saying is that a witness is somebody who establishes facts. You share the observable facts about what God has done. Not how you feel. You tell people what is. Think about the disciples. These are people that are gonna go out from this scene. They're gonna enter into a world that hates them because the world hated Christ. The world crucified Christ. Many of these people are gonna get crucified. And so what's he saying to them? It's not about how you feel in the moment. There's gonna be a lot of days you don't wanna tell people about Jesus, but you don't tell people about how you feel, you tell them the facts about what Christ has done. That's what it means to be a witness. It means you testify to what has been done. And so think about this for a second. What does it mean to have a testimony then? What does it mean to share your testimony? It's not sharing with people what 
you feel, it's sharing with people what you know God has done. So I wonder this morning, how many of you have ever written down your testimony? How many of you have, can share your testimony with people because you've written it down and you know what Christ has done? A couple years ago, I was convicted of this, that we need to have witnesses and we need to train people to be witnesses. And so when we baptize people now, I make them, if they want to get baptized, they have to write out their testimony. And so we work with them and we talk with them about what a testimony is and how to write it out. And so there's four questions that we ask people when they write out a testimony. I just want to kind of review those questions with you now so that if you want to go home this week and write out your testimony so that you can share with people, not based on how you feel, but what are the facts, this might be helpful for you. To number one, this is what we ask people to do. We say, tell people who you are. I'm Paul Weitzel. I have three daughters who don't listen. They're little angels, and I'm married to Jen. You know, I don't know what you tell people. Number two, when did you come to hear the gospel and respond? I was 16 years old when I came to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to discover that there is a God and I'm not him. And you can talk about all kinds of scriptures that relate to that. Number three, and this is the most important one. What changes have happened in your life as a result of the gospel? You see, because if Jesus Christ really has changed your life, then he's changed your life. And so you should tell people, God is alive and he has changed my life. So look, where there was hate, there's now love. Where there was anxiety and fear and worry, there's now peace. Where there was sadness, there's now joy. And this is my story, where there was a lot of arrogance and pride and I'm right and you're wrong and I'm gonna have a conversation so I can tell you how right I am, there's now humility. You tremble at the feet of Jesus Christ. That's what you're telling people. It's not how I feel any given day. It's what Christ has done in me. And then you say this. He can do the same thing for you. He can do the same thing for you. Listen, to be a witness means that you testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you tell people, and so I think there's two practical applications for us. The first is this. If you're listening to me this morning, I think the first is this. Remember, God gave us the Holy Spirit because the world is broken. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. It's not because the world is great and everything in it is glorious. It's because the world's broken. This past week, I took a really, uh, a very quick, deep dive into the sadness of our world. And I wrote some things down. And I'm sure if I sat with you, you could probably expand this list. But listen, gas prices are rising. Nations are at war and innocent people are dying. We can't buy baby formula. Our elections are being challenged. Immorality in our schools are on a rise. Confidence in the American dollar is wavering. And after I wrote that list, I sat down, and I'll be honest with you, I looked at Jesus and I said, what is happening? And so then I wrote a second list because I was just in one of those moods. And the second list got worse than the first list. Gang violence is increasing all around our cities. Over 100,000 people have died this past year from drug overdoses. 
It's just heartbreaking. Cancer seems to be everywhere. Invading families' lives. Sex trafficking is on the rise, especially amongst children. And just last week in northern Nigeria, and this didn't make the headline news, but Johnny Depp did. There was a Christian student who was killed and her body was burned in northern Nigeria for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Her name was Deborah Samuels. Last week in Palestine, a Christian journalist was shot by, an, by a sniper for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they had her funeral, a gang broke out and beat the people that were carrying her casket. And this doesn't make the news. And yet I'm tempted when I start writing lists like this to look to heaven and say, well, what happens after I die? Because you look at this world and you go, man, this is broken and this is messed up and I can't wait to get out of it. And Jesus then invades that thought and says, look, it's not what happens after you die, Paul. It's what happens after they die. Because I put you in this world to help the broken. And I've given you the Holy Spirit to give hope to those who are brokenhearted. Not sit down and make lists and complain about it. God has given us the Holy Spirit because the world is broken. And he has put his people into this world, into a broken world, to give hope to a broken world, to a world that hates to introduce them to love, to a world that is all fear and anxiety and worry and say, do you want to know the peace of Jesus Christ? Do you want to know what real joy is? Let me introduce to him. His name is Jesus Christ. This is why Christ has called us to come. This is why he's given us a commission. This is why he has invited us to participate in expanding his gospel to the world. Listen, you are not alone. He has given you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can do far more with you than what you can do with you. And Christ has allowed us to participate in the expansion of the gospel. And if we don't do it, listen, no organization in the world will pick up the gospel. So I get, I just want to, I really want to go back to the scriptures here. I get why the disciples ask the question they ask in verse five. Uh, listen to this question. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Look, then the disciples, they hear all this, but you gotta understand, in their mind, all as they see is brokenness. They see Roman oppression They've got Jews that killed Jesus and now they're coming out and hunting them. I mean, these guys and girls, they're afraid. And so their mind is not focused on the fact that the Holy Spirit's coming. Their mind's focused on the fact that, listen, people are trying to kill us, Jesus. So look, here's our question. Lord, are you at this time gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? By the way, can we get out of all this? We don't wanna go out there. I mean, do you, do you understand what's happening, Jesus? I get that question. That question makes a lot of sense. And Jesus looks at these men and he says to them, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit not because the world is right, but because it's broken. So it's not about you. It's about giving people life and eternal life. You know, I want to nerd out a little bit because we don't have any time and I just want to do it. The, the disciples couldn't stand the Romans and neither could the Jews in the first century. 
You have to understand, when they say that phrase, restore the kingdom to Israel, it's taking the kingdom away from the Romans. That's what they were really getting at. And so what's interesting in this particular passage is that if you read the rest of the book of Acts, do you know where the Apostle Paul is standing in Acts 28? He's standing in Rome. The very people that the disciples and the Jews couldn't stand are the very people that God wants to take the gospel to. And so if you're sitting in your world right now and you're saying, man, this person's strange and I can't really stand them and I'm not really sure what's going on over there and this is just weird and this is whacked out, those are the people that Jesus loves. A, a woman, my wife works at Starbucks, okay? And it's not Wawa, it's Starbucks and it's been a hardship in our family. But anyway, moving on. And the other day, a woman walks in dressed up as a fox, okay? Like, I get that the world is strange, but those people need Jesus too. And there's a part of us that we look at that and we go, man, and we mock it and we judge it and we condemn it, but don't you realize that Jesus Christ created that person in his image and there's intrinsic value in them? You see, you might hate the Romans, but Christ has sent his church to witness to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, he, he gave us the Holy Spirit because the world's broken. Secondly, our witness is not complete. Grace Community Church, our witness is not complete. I love what Tom Steller, who is currently a missionary in Cameroon, he says this, and I think he says it a lot better than I can. He says, there is a big difference between a church that has missionaries and a church that sends missionaries. Let me say that again. There is a big difference between a church that has missionaries in a church that sends missionaries. In Acts chapter eight, Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus isn't talking about having missionaries. He's talking about sending people out, which is why he tells them, listen, you're gonna receive power. The Holy Spirit's gonna come on you and you will be my witnesses and you could probably finish this sentence. And what? In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the what? To the ends of the? To the ends of the earth. And so Jesus is simply saying to these guys, look, you're gonna, the, the mission is not complete. You're going to take the gospel around the corner, and you're going to take the gospel around the world. You know, think about what's around the corner for the disciples. It's Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. They're going to take the gospel around the corner. Samaria is right next to Israel. And then he says, don't stop there. You're going to take the gospel around the world to the ends of the earth. It's a beautiful proclamation that is made but you know what's interesting? 78% of unreached people, this is from uh, LifeWay research poll, states that 78% of unreached people would listen to someone share their faith, but Baylor University says that only 8% of regular churchgoers will actually share their faith. We have been called to take the gospel around the corner and around the world. Around the world means you take the gospel into different cultures, if you've been paying attention, the world is coming to Lancaster. We have different nations and tribes and tongues all being spoken here in Lancaster City. At Smoketown Elementary, there's over 20 different languages being spoken right now. This is a good thing. This gives us opportunities to influence different cultures for the gospel and to love people that are from around the world, not just around the corner. 
God is working, and he's giving you and I plenty of opportunities, but do you know what happens oftentimes? We get comfortable, we settle in, we take our foot off the throttle, and we don't realize that 41.6% of the world is still yet unreached. 41.6% of the world is unreached. God has called us to say, listen, your work is not complete, Grace Community Church. There's work to be done. And so maybe this day, you and I begin to make some different prayer requests. Maybe as parents, we stop praying about where our kids are gonna go to college and we start praying about sending our kids to the mission field. Which is a hard one for me because I got a six, a four, and a one-year-old and to start praying like that, I wanna hold on to them. And I don't realize Jesus is calling me to release them into the world. We need to begin to pray for unreached people groups. On Monday night, my wife and I had dinner with one of our young adults. Her name is Jordan. If you, haven't, if you don't know Jordan, you'll hear her because she's louder than I am, and she's awesome. And so we're sitting in her house, and she's saying, listen, I know what God's asking me to do. Big smile across her face. And I'm like, great. So my wife leans in, I lean in. She goes, listen, Jesus is calling me to take the gospel to deaf people in India. Like, deaf people in India? What? And she's got this whole plan. She's going to take American Sign Language classes in the fall. I mean, that's, that's a big prayer. But you know what, friends? We have a big God. We have an awesome God. And our work is not complete. And it is one of the hardest places to go and take the gospel. But we need to raise up more Jordans. We need to begin to see that there's opportunities to reach unreached peoples all around us. And this means that we participate in not just sending people, but we also participate in welcoming people. It also means that we identify, develop, encourage, and mobilize the young adults of Grace Community Church. That's what it means. And finally, it might mean this morning that we confess to Jesus Christ where we have not taken his great commission seriously. About a year ago, I was introduced to a young lady, a young adult who works with OMF. Her name is Rachel Kummer. I call her the ideas girl. Because every time I'm in a meeting with her, she's got 15 ideas about how we can take the gospel to unreached peoples. And let me just tell you, it's, it's overwhelming. But about a year ago, I sat with her and she began to share some things with me. And I and I really felt the full weight of conviction of saying, man, I haven't taken the Great Commission serious enough. And so over the last year, we've tried to make a shift, particularly in our young adults ministry. We just finished up a eight-week training with our young adults on Tuesday night about the gospel and how the scriptures teach us to take the gospel to different nations. That's teaching people what the scriptures say so they can fulfill and obey the scriptures of Jesus Christ. Look, we want to send people out. We want to call and identify and encourage and equip our young adults. But maybe this morning it will take you to confess to Jesus that you haven't taken his commission serious enough. Because friends, hear this. Heaven isn't just for you. It isn't just for me. It isn't just for us. It is for the whole world that Jesus Christ came so that every knee can bow and every tongue can confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning 
that we get the opportunity to participate in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, Father, we get the privilege to know Christ and to make him known. So we pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would come upon us, that your Holy Spirit would convict us, that your Holy Spirit would move within us. As we worship now, Lord, may we hear from heaven. Maybe it's ministering to deaf people in India. Or maybe it's participating in a local mission organization like Hub 54 or being a part of an adopting an Afghan family. Father, whatever it may be, may your Holy Spirit speak now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.